the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The number of Americans who believe in God drops to a historic low. And later, adult friendships. How do you have them? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my special guest co-host Catherine McNeil. Happy Friday! We hope you have some great weekend plans ahead of you. We're so excited that you're with us today. Uh, uh, my co-host Brian is out of town. He'll be back on Monday. So Catherine's been with us a few days this week. This is your yeah. third time in studio. I Catherine. am loving it. We love having you. We want the one you call McNeil. Give us McNeil, or we will lay waste to your cities with our anti-monument laser. We demand McNeil! For the folks who are just tuning in today may have missed the rest of the week. By the way, what were you doing? I don't know what you were doing with your time. Seriously. You should have been listening, but you can catch up on our podcast. But uh, for those who don't know you, Catherine, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. My name is Catherine McNeil. I am friends with Aubrey Sampson That's and right. also neighbors. We yes. drive each other's kids to school. That's true. We do. Um, I love when Brian is on vacation. Brian, no need to come back. Just send me a text. I'm, <laughs> I'm free all week next week. So, um, And I'm also an author. So we write books together sometimes, Aubrey and I. That's right. That's very fun. We have lots yeah. of writing that we do together, which is very enjoyable. And now we do the radio show together. That's right. Sometimes, too. So this is very, very fun. A melding of worlds here. Um, Catherine and I are also both people like in ministry, surrounded by ministry, thinking about ministry quite a bit as Christians, as Christian authors, as women in leadership. And um, Catherine, there was a poll that came out very recently, just a few days ago, in fact, over at Fox News that said this. This was the headline. Number of Americans who believe in God drops to a historic low. Hmm. Now, I heard that and thought, okay, that's going to be interesting to see what the number is. And interestingly, the percentage of Americans who say they believe in God has dipped to the lowest number since 80 years. You might be surprised, though, you'll have to tell me, that the poll still showed 81% of people believe in God. Oh, my. So I thought when they said historic low, I thought it was going to be like 30%. Yeah, like God, or even 50%. 40% was the number that kind of popped in my head when you said that for a historic low. 81% still feels like a pretty large uh, number of people who collectively Uh believe in the existence of God. Doesn't necessarily mean they're Christians or following Jesus, but believe that God exists. Right. Actually, uh, you just put this in my hands right before we started talking, so I'm kind of catching up with you a little bit. I'm hearing that it actually says that 17% of Americans say they do not believe in God. So there's a few people there that are kind of like in the middle, I think, if we are doing the math. That's interesting. What that says to me is maybe we are, we have a lot more in common than we think we do. Interesting. Since you and I both were thinking what's probably a lot less than that. Now, let me read you this and tell me your thoughts. This may be surprising or may not. The poll found that belief in God has plummeted the most recent years among young adults 
and people left of the political spectrum, mainly mm. liberals and Democrats. Um, interestingly, uh, it says the least likely to believe in God, 62% of liberals, 68% of young adults, 72% of Democrats, belief in God is the highest among political conservatives, 94%, and Republicans, 92%. This is uh, what Gallup says, ultimately, religiosity is a major determinant of political divisions in the U.S. Now, interesting. that's interesting. That is. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, if you were listening on Wednesday when I was here, I, I have I have some pretty nerdy hobbies. You know, <laughs> I really do love data and studying and research. So yeah. what that says to me is I'd love to know more. I'd yeah. love to know more about the God that conservatives and Republicans believe in. I'd love to know more about the God that the liberals and Democrats believe in, but also the God that the liberals and the Democrats don't believe mm -hmm. in. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not getting a whole lot of content from just these numbers, yeah. but I would I would love to know more. I actually have a friend. She's a pastor and she's decided to go on and get a doctorate. And this is a lot of what she's studying in her doctorate. Oh, cool. I wish she was here because I'm not going to be able to really represent her at yeah. all. But I love yeah. listening to her talk about the studies that are done about um, our worldview mm -hmm. and how pretty much for all of human history, it wasn't like good people believed in God um, or faithful people believed in God. God was just a foregone conclusion. Yeah. And yeah. certainly there was a huge amount of Again, difference between what we mean by God, yeah. um, God's character, how God interacts with mm -hmm. creation, but God as a as a being was a foregone conclusion, yeah. and how yeah. we have a pretty different kind of cultural mm -hmm. system right now. We are thinking a lot more about material things yeah. and less about spiritual things, yeah. and so there's a little bit more kind of a decision making yeah. factor, not just. What do you believe about yeah. God? But do you believe in God at all? So I'm curious if this um, if this is so this is a poll, obviously, here in the U.S. I'm curious what the reflection would be globally mm. and how that would compare to America. And this is curious to me that when first asked this question in 1944, again in 1947 and in the 50s and 60s, there was a consistent 98 percent of respondents saying they believed in God. Then Gallup asked the question five years later, 2011, 92% hmm. said they believe in God. 2013, we're dipping 90 to 87%. Oh, wow. 2014, 81%, or 2014, 2017 dipped before this year's drop to 81%. So slowly there's been a decline. Yeah. And we know that some of this has to do with shifts in our nation, shifts between sort of that modern and postmodern mindset. Probably there's some political connection here as well, I would say, especially I in the past. So. 10 years? I mean, that's what this study seems to be saying. Yeah. Absolutely. So to me, this says something else, which again, we don't have a lot of context here, so we're we're making guesses in the dark a little bit, but um, is belief in God so connected to political points of view, too mm -hmm. connected? Maybe too connected is the question I'm asking. Yes. If we're seeing that, if this is in fact true, that there's a dividing line politically, now I think it goes back to your question, what do they mean by God? That kind of thing. Sure. But let's just take it at face value. To me, this says there's a lot of interaction between our politics and our religion, which we know. Yes. Um, but then seeing it on paper is a little bit like, okay, we know, we know, we know. 
is there something that we need to be doing about it, I guess, as Christians and as church leaders, helping people to either separate their political points of view from their faith or think more critically? Or I, yes. It certainly poses a question to us. I think, that's, I think that's a really key point, which, again, I, I'm not going to... I would love to know more about. I would love to, to search more into this. But how can we represent God as not belonging to a political party mm. or a relationship with God or inclusion in the Christian faith not requiring you yeah. to subscribe to certain very American yeah. policies? Yeah, that's interesting. I think the other side of this that's interesting for me, like having an evangelism degree is... I actually appreciate that what we're seeing now is probably a more honest thing than what we were seeing when it was just the social expectation or pressure or norm mm, to say you mm-hmm. believe in God. Because then there it was sort of like, well, yeah, everybody's a Christian. Sure. Everybody's a faithful sure. church-going folk. You yeah. Know? And so now you actually kind of go, oh, well, there are some people who do believe and some people who don't. That as as uh, the evangelist out there, that should be an exciting invitation. Like now we have a more authentic starting place when we're having conversations with people about their faith. Yeah, I like that. Because they're now it's not a foregone conclusion necessarily. You're coming, at, you're having relationships with people where they actually are because I think right. it's more accepted now to be able to say, I don't know, I'm grappling with the, I'm grappling with the reality of God. Well, and you know, this is kind of my thing. I say this a lot, but we don't need to be afraid of our yeah. neighbors. Uh, you, we don't need to be terrified by this news. Mm, God is happen. present. Yes. God is everywhere. God is even working in the lives of people who don't acknowledge God's presence. Yeah. So I don't good think happen. we need to be afraid of that this. I think so God is God is in control and we can just keep doing the work of loving our neighbors. Yep. Keep doing the work of loving our neighbors. And remember, 81% is still a pretty large that percentage pretty of people high. who believe in God. So that's actually, actually better news than we expect. Off air, something horrific has happened in my yes. life. Yes. And I can't even come to terms with it. I'm actually a little bit distracted this afternoon in the studio because of this news. It's that weighing I just found on me. Thank it's you. weighing on Thank my heart. You. You're in my thoughts and prayers. I feel like a lot of the women who will listen are going to understand the gravitas of this. Uh, my hairdresser just told me she's moving. I, I, I have no words. This is devastating yes. to me because I finally, after years of trying to find the right hairdresser, someone who I like, someone who gets me, someone who deals with the mess that is my hair, mm. and... And Catherine, she does all my makeup for my speaking <gasps> events. I know she does. She's moving. I know she does. To Indiana. She's like your right hand woman. She is. And okay, her husband got a great job. This is actually really good news for her. But I'm going to be really selfish and say this is horrible news for yeah, me. Yeah, I think it's all about you, Aubrey. I'm okay with that. So I'm I'm kind of grieving that, and I I don't really know what to do about. It, but I needed to say it on air. And you were actually uh, lamenting about something kind of funny that happened. Well, I was just going to say, can I like can I ease your pain by telling you a really funny I story? I am dying to hear okay. this story. Yes, and okay. this is actually why I brought it up because I needed distraction. Okay, I gave Aubrey a teaser about this, but she doesn't actually know the whole <laughs> I story. Don't. I'm excited. So, um, like a normal suburban family, over the weekend, uh, my, we went to Costco okay. and got all the things like you do at Costco. Yes. 
So we drove home in our minivan because, again, we live in the Chicago suburbs, a major metropolitan area, and we do not live in the country, okay? We yes. do not live near a lake. We right. do not live near a pond. Right. We live in the suburbs. Yeah, we are, you are you are okay. firmly planted in the So suburbs. my minivan, my 2.5 children, and all of our Costco <laughs> things are heading to our front door. We have a fenced-in yard. Yes. We find an entire family of ducks waiting for us. An entire family. Like you mom, could, dad, and baby? Yes, mom, dad, full-grown In ducks. Inside the fence? Inside, inside the our fence? fence. And they're just sort of chilling, okay? okay? But we walk in, and they squawk. Like, we terrified <laughs> no. them. To be honest, they terrified us, too, okay? Yeah. So then this crazy, next couple of minutes were crazy because <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad duck there's like five, maybe five or six babies. Okay. Very, very tiny babies. Yeah. Aubrey, I do not know where these ducks came from. Oh, no. I, do you they, think there's been do, a nest They cannot fly. This whole time? I do not think there could have been a nest okay. uh, that I didn't see, but these babies cannot fly. So <laughs> mom and dad are going <laughs> frantic yeah. trying to gather up their chicks and get the heck out of my yard. Right. We have a dog, okay? No. So when we come home, the dog comes out to greet us. Yeah. So we're frantically trying to get the dog Not in the house. Not to go near the ducks, right. Um, three of the little ducklings, sca- the ducklings scatter all over. Mom and dad are trying to, like, gather them in an orderly way, but the oh, no. babies just go everywhere, and three of them go into my <gasps> basement no. door, which we have opened to put all of our Costco stuff in the basement. Catherine. And so then... <laughs> Baby ducks are loud, Aubrey. Oh, I didn't Mom know and that. Dad duck are squawking their heads off outside, oh. and baby ducks are just having a little tour of my basement. <laughs> I can't even tell you the chaos that ensued for like fifteen minutes. Stop it! So, did you finally get them well, out? Well, here's the sad news: one baby duck got out. Okay. Mom and Dad rounded up at least three babies. And I saw them. I saw them outside the fence. I saw them walking away. Okay. But I knew that two <gasps> babies were still in oh, our basement, no. and they were squawking so loudly. I'm going on and on. No, keep going. Keep going. Right? Yes. Mom and Dad couldn't hear them anymore because of our foundation, and the babies had gotten stuck behind oh, our chest freezer. No. So my husband and I, you know, all of our groceries is just melting yeah. in the hot car. This was, I don't know if you remember, it was like 100 Ew. degrees. Ew. Ew. Loud squawking baby ducks. We literally moved our chest freezer. They scurried under our, like, gorilla shelving that was all over our basement. My husband is very quickly dismantling shelving. Oh. We're, like, setting up, like, a Rube Goldberg machine right. so that when the duck hits here, it'll go here <laughs> and, and it'll, it'll go into right. my box. We did finally capture both oh, you did. baby ducks. Oh, good. Okay. We got them in a little box that they can't fly out of, but mom and dad were long gone. So we put them in the shade. I did all kinds of internet research. Um, We tried to care for them as best we could, hoping that mom and dad were going to come come back, back. and they didn't. No. So So, how does the story end? The story ends. Well, I have a lot of really cute pictures and videos on Twitter, and I was hoping that it would end. I was hoping it would end with me having two pet ducks. I'm (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I really did hope that. You were like a full, like, was it Chandler and Joey that had a chicken and a duck? A, a yes, yeah, yes, yeah, that's gonna be you. Man, I've taken like this whole segment keep talking going, about my ducks. Keep going, I love it. But uh, we ended up calling a friend of ours okay. who is not, I don't think technically an animal rescue person, okay. but he is very skilled and adept at animal yeah. rescue. And he came, uh, 
because it was getting dark. It was getting on nighttime, yeah. and uh, I read that chicks can't regulate temperature oh. yet if they don't have feathers, and so he agreed to take them at least overnight. Okay, but I haven't. I haven't you heard from them since then. So, how were people online responding to this story? Oh, they were amazing. like, "It's pretty amazing." You know, this happened over the course of hours. So, I was, you know, updating my Twitter thread yeah. as yeah, I went, as and went. people were like, "I keep refreshing the page." <laughs> to know but what <laughs> now that it's been quite a few days, people just keep sending me like pictures of Cute ducks. ducks or yeah, oh, but this is so sad. I was really hoping you could have these duck pets. That this was going to end. Well, my primary hope was that mom and dad were coming back because so sad that mom and dad didn't. Come these back. babies have so much personality. Like really? I could tell from the very beginning. I only spent a couple hours yeah. with them, but. Um, one of them is super outgoing, like always chattering away and always maintaining eye contact with me and like kind of jumping up and performing with me. And the other one, every time I come by, like tries to hide, you know, fails to hide, you know, but is not going to make eye contact with me. It's so sweet. I know. Did you start thinking about names? We already named them. Okay, we got to hear their name. This is turning into a kind of a sad story. I know. Sage and time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and would you have like parsley and rosemary and probably the other ones have stayed? I'm a yeah. little bit. Do we need to get you some? Do we need to go duck shopping for you, Kevin? Well, you know, I did point out to my husband we're not allowed to have chickens, but our yeah. city ordinances don't say anything about ducks. So we yeah. had at one point actually researched and decided to raise ducks because they also have really healthy eggs. Oh, okay. They would eat a lot of the pests that bother my garden. Yeah. Um, but then we. Didn't yeah, and yeah. I mentioned to my husband I kind of wanted to keep them, and yeah. he didn't really seem to think and that. What would you he and the, the ducks would live? Th- yeah, yeah, that'd be a problem. The dog too. would be a problem, and as you know from Wednesday, we're about to go on vacation, even though we're not going to Yellowstone, yeah. and it seemed like newborn ducks that still need kind of twenty four hour care. You have to take them on vacation, with and you. I'm not going to be doing no, that. You don't so. need ducks in the no. car. Well, no. you. If nothing else, you've distracted me from my hairdresser okay. crisis. So I really appreciate this yeah. story, Catherine. Yep. And just hope those little ducks oh, find a home. Me too. I, I think they, they have. I think they have found a home okay. with our, our animal rescue right. friend. That is a, that is a very... I, we have not had ducks in our yard, but this is a fantastic story. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing yep. it with us today. Uh, this feels like a good, a good story for Friday. We yeah. hope that story brought a smile to your face. Uh, one of the things that Catherine and I have mentioned several times is that she and I are neighbors, she and I are friends, she and I are sister authors. A lot of our lives have been intertwined since our kids were babies, oh, yeah. which is wild to me. Like, Catherine and I sat on each other's living room floors with, like, Toddlers newborns. and infants, We were yes. pregnant at the same time. We were. Which feels like yesterday. That and was, like, two days ago. A thousand and years that's ago. What I was and 25 mm-hmm. years ago. And I do think, I mean, I can remember we've even talked about this. There were times early on when we had dreams of our kids being older and writing and speaking Uh and doing things that we wanted to do. And we were like, it'll never happen. I will never sleep again. Yeah, I will never like put on human adult pants again. I'll be in yoga pants the rest of my life. Well, that's some fairness. Yeah, especially in the pandemic. We all went back to like the (laughs) sweatpants stage. But here we are. Here we are. Okay, so, Catherine, one of the things about having adult friendship is that it's like, okay, my, I took my son uh, Lincoln to Florida last week, and um, we went swimming, 
And all of a sudden, he had two new best friends at the pool. Isn't that amazing? They were playing. Yes. I don't even think they actually asked each other's names. But they played for like an hour until it was time for us to go. I loved it because I sat on the side of the pool yes. and read. But like, there's almost no intentionality that has to take place. Yeah. There's no scheduling. No. There's no. It, they just immediately form friendships yes. without question. Let's play. Let's play. Let's play. And wouldn't you say, I mean, this is not the most profound statement in the world, but wouldn't you say that is more difficult as you become adults? Oh, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if it's okay if I say this, your husband and you had us over for dinner a couple weekends ago. We did. And that took us six months to be able to make happen. Oh, at least. Yeah. We even were kind of like... We should do this more regularly. Oh, wait, we had you for dinner a year ago. Right. So, so this is kind of regular. We'll We've it. actually managed to do it twice. Yeah. Annually, I feel like, is the yeah. nature of adult friendship. Even though we point. live one block away from each other. <laughs> it is so crazy. And I feel like there are a lot of people in my life like that who, I mean, you and I mm-hmm. are very intentional about yes. putting in our calendar, okay, every other Wednesday, we're going to grab lunch. Mm-hmm. But that's new for us. That is new. Yeah. And we're intentional about having girls nights out or whatever but if we weren't intentional about it oh life just fills in the yeah, gaps it does and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily that's filling in the gaps with family with ministry with loving your spouse with loving your neighbor mm-hmm. um but i will say uh, adult friendship takes a different level uh-huh. of purpose okay well this is not my temperament. I don't think I would be able to do this. But what if I took a page from my kid's book yeah. and just showed up at your door some right. afternoon right. with a gallon of lemonade and said, let's play? Yeah. I think you would be like, what, why are you here? Did we, have, did we have, did we arrange something? I, did I forget no. something on my I calendar? I would be like, what? Uh, it, 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 but I can't. I can't. Right. I have, no, no, no. I have a to-do list. Why are you, you here? Have, right? That's 100% what I would do. Even though we've been BFFs for Isn't that decades. crazy? There is. I mean, in one sense, it's not fair to berate ourselves for being adults and having adult uh-huh. responsibilities. But in another sense, something is lost. Yeah. Don't yeah, you think? I do. Some of this, the play, yep. I think is really uh, part of it. The spontaneity mm-hmm. is part of it. And I feel like it's also just even the margin. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to come to my house and do that and vice versa, I'd be like, I don't, this is not my time of margin. What mm-hmm. do you, this is my time when I'm, you know, and yeah. then that feels bad because then it's like the people in your life right. that you want to spend time with, you're right, actually right, right. not. But I like that idea. Can we get better at playing yeah. as adults? You know, as you know, my husband is better at this than me, not with playing, but with spontaneity. He is better at Because this. he and I will sometimes go for a yeah. walk while our kids are doing the dishes or something. Yeah. And he'll be like, let's swing by so-and-so's house. Yeah. And sometimes it's your house. Yeah. And I'll always be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to interrupt them or whatever. Yeah. But he'll twist my arm and we'll walk by yeah. and maybe we'll ring the bell. And yeah. it feels really awkward to yeah. me. But sometimes it's a nice, like, then we'll just sit and chat for a long yeah. time. Or, like, and then other times it's like, oh, hey, it's so good to see you. And then we But the on. whole time we're chatting, I'm thinking, yeah. were they in the middle of something? Yeah. Am I taking them from something? I do that exact same thing. Hmm. I wonder if that's, is that consideration or is that introversion mm. or I is think, that just adulthood? I think it's, well, I think it's programming for our culture. I think it's adulthood yeah. in America. Yeah. Like, we 
we are supposed to be really busy. Yeah. And if we're not busy, it's so rare and precious that we don't want it to be accidentally filled with something. I think that's the very, very true. But ha- I think other cultures are a lot better at just saying, sun has come by. Yeah. That is all that matters that's right now. That's all that matters. I'm going to be with that person mm-hmm. until I'm no longer with that person. Mm-hmm. Not until I have the next thing that I have to yep. do. So over at the um, Atlantic.com, they're talking about adult friendships. And this is interesting. There's a quote from William Rollins, the stalker professor of interpersonal communication at Ohio University. And he says this. He says, I've listened to someone as young as 14 and someone as old as 100 talk about their close friends. And there are three expectations of a close friend that I hear people describing and valuing across entire across mm. the entire life course. Here's the three things. One, somebody to talk to. Two, somebody to depend on. Mm. And three, someone to enjoy. Wow. These expectations remain the same, but the circumstance under which they are accomplished changes. And that's interesting when you think about adulthood. The other thing this article goes on to say is, um, because in adulthood people grow up, they move away, friendships are the relationships that are likely to take a hit. Like, yeah. you're always going to be with your family. You're ideally always going to be with your spouse. You're where, always going to be with your colleagues. Yeah, <laughs> but where I, you could run over to Catherine McNeil's house for lemonade, if you move away or I move away, that yeah. that dynamic changes. And then you're forced to start, like, a whole new... Right. A whole new friendship. I This is interesting to me that... Um, Friendship is one of the most beautiful things we need to survive. And I'm so deeply thankful for your friendship. Oh, likewise. But as adults, it is, it is like, really hard. It takes some, it takes some effort. And so I was what do thinking, we do? How do we solve this? Well, I was thinking, you know, when you're a kid, you're always meeting peers, people who are same age as you at school or who enjoy playing the same sport or mm-hmm. who enjoy the same extracurricular activity. Yeah. But I think it gets really hard when we're adults. I was just reflecting last night. When was the last time I made a new friend who was not either a coworker or I met through my children? Interesting. I think most of my friends, even you, mm-hmm. I met because our kids were in the same school yep. or were friends or were invited to the same birthday party. Um, and because we kept showing up to the same places to take our kids there. We started talking and started becoming friends. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. really true. And so what will happen in a few short years when we don't have kids anymore? Will we go back to making friends because we've joined a cooking class Maybe or so. a book club? Yeah. Or... yeah. Yeah. It's kind of be interesting to mm-hmm. see how it unfolds as we get older. Here's the positive side of this. Okay. This is in the article. It says, the thing that makes friendship fragile, uh, this fragility is what mm-hmm. we're talking about, that it's harder as you get older. The thing that makes friendship fragile is also what makes it flexible. Hmm. Um, friendships are continuous, even if there are long periods in which friends are out of touch. And um, you can assume you are still on good terms with your friends, even if mm. you haven't talked to them in a while. And that's different than kids. Because yes. I feel like in kids, either you just move on, you kind of forget yeah. you had that friend. Or yeah. like in middle school, there's a fight. Oh, something my. Happened. In high school, yes. there's a fight. But as adults, you can kind of go, oh, no, we've all yeah. just been doing our lives. We right. can come back together now. And friendship continues because of that. So that's a positive thing. That is. Less fear of ghosting, maybe. More yeah. secure. More secure. In the fact, we'll, we'll pick this up again. Yeah, I, I think I think that's very that's very accurate. Which is why sometimes you can talk to like an old friend and be like, "No time has yeah. passed at all," because there's that understanding, right. I think that grace that like, it's okay. That Our we're friendship busy. has a life of its own, yeah, and it doesn't necessarily require yeah 
us to be face to face. So for our listeners out there who are lonely, we hope that you find some friends even in adulthood and can carve out some time for intentional relationships. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. One of our favorite things to do every Friday is to share some of the uh, craziest stories we can find on the internet. Our executive producer, Keith Conrad, who we adore here at The Common Good, he uh, searches the wild west that is the World Wide Web, and he finds some of the most insane stories he can find, and, and some of the craziest or funniest or just like, what stories he can find. But the best thing about this is that the first time we're sharing them with you is the first time we are actually laying eyes oh on them. Oh, my. And so um, our reactions are real reactions. Okay. And so Catherine and I right now, we both have a bunch of stories on our studio desk, but they're turned upside down. We have not seen them yet. So uh, I'm going to share the first one, and then Catherine's going to share the second one. This comes out of Kansas. Oh, this is a great story. A dog escapes from a pet <laughs> hotel finds its way home while owners are on vacation. Oh my goodness. He's still in Kansas. A clever canine became a true escape artist after busting out of a doggy hotel while his pet parents were on vacation. Jeremy and Sarah Henson, who hail from Lenexa, Kansas, were vacationing in Vegas, believing their precious pup Dexter was safe and sound in a puppy hotel. But when their ring camera notified them (laughs) someone was at their door... They were shocked to see Dexter pawing at the front door of their home, whining to oh, be let my in. Goodness. I'm going to pause here just a second and come back to the story. My sister found a gigantic uh, rat snake <gasps> on her ring, like no. video of it crawling around her front door. Oh, my it's goodness. It's horrifying. That yes. is horrifying. Okay, come back to this Kay. story that's cuter than a snake. Yeah. Uh, we were both like, oh, no, that's Dexter. Jeremiah told Inside Edition of the now viral video that shows footage from earlier this year. While the pup didn't realize his owners were hundreds of miles away, Jeremy attempted to calm down and upset Dexter via the ring speaker while he waited to be rescued by hotel staff. If this isn't an advertise for ring, I don't know what it is. No doubt. The beloved pooch was supposed to be staying at the hotel for five days when his owners were away, but apparently he grew too homesick. According to Jeremy, Dexter would have had to scale a six-foot fence to pull off such an escape, then travel some two miles home. Obviously, he didn't understand the fact that we were gone. He just thought that we were home. Aww. And he takes his job protecting us very seriously, Jeremy said, calling his pup determined. Yet, the couple wasn't surprised that Dexter had miraculously found his way home since he's a very smart pooch. That intelligence can get him into trouble sometimes, Aww. Jeremy added. I think I'd be a little bit angry about that pet hotel, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. What were they doing that yeah. this happened? Who saw Old Yeller? Who cried when Old Yeller got shot at the end? Nobody cried when Old Yeller got shot, I'm sure. I cried my eyes out. Man, poor doggy. I know. I'm glad he made it home, though. It isn't, like, lost somewhere. Okay, I'm ready to play. Let's go. Okay, this is the first time I'm finding out about this. Okay. 6,000 bees. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, dear. 6,000 bees removed from inside the wall of an Omaha couple's home. This is a nightmare in real life. Okay. About 6,000 bees were recently removed from inside the walls of an Omaha couple's 100-year-old home. Now, I have to interrupt to say this hits close to home for me, no pun intended, because my house was built 150 years ago. Oh, no. And we get so many wasps inside the house. Oh, no. Hmm. Okay. Thomas and Mary Lou told the Omaha World Herald they have been planting bee-friendly flowers outside their mid-time home, 
but they never expected the bees to move in. Sure, sure. The bees likely infiltrated through a hole in the mortar of its brick exterior. They discovered these bees after noticing many of them flying around outside their kitchen window. They found about 30 in a second floor bedroom. If you put your ear to the wall, you could hear the buzzing. No! Said Thomas. And we never, ever want to hear anyone say that sentence again. This is horrifying. Uh, Their first thought was to call an exterminator, but we've been reading, and there are a lot of great shows on PBS (laughs) Nature about how important bees are to pollinating the world in which we live. That's That's very true. Thank you, thank you, Thomas and Mary Lou. Yep. The couple contracted two members of the Omaha Bee Club, who charged six hundred dollars to safely relocate the bees. Okay. Larry Cottle of Countryside Acres Aviary cut a hole in the wall of the home. Before Ryan Gilligan of Gilly's Gold vacuumed the bees into a box to move them. Three honeycombs about two inches thick and roughly nine inches in diameter Uh -uh. were inside the wall. Uh -uh. Okay, you ready for this? They tasted the honey. <laughs> nice. Before Gilligan yeah. took the bees home. Maybe they home. should. That's their, home. That's their local I mean, honey right there. taste the honey. Yeah, they should have been eating honey. I'm sorry, 6,000 6, bees, though? 6,000. No, thank but you. the Gilligan fellow says that the last time he did this, the <gasps> house had 15,000 bees. Unbelievable. Bees! Bees! Bees in the car! Bees everywhere! I don't like having a bee in my house. No. Let alone 6,000 to 15,000. No. All right. Okay. Oh, no. Here's another. uh, Catherine, this is a wild animal in a home again. This is out of California. It matches with my ducks. It does match with your ducks and with bees. Here we go. A bear enters a California Airbnb <laughs> through an open window and destroys the house. No, no, no. So it's like a Goldilocks story here. Guests <laughs> at a California Airbnb were forced to retreat to their rooms and call for help when an extremely aggressive bear entered the residence through an open window. So people were home when this happened? Retreat to their rooms. I think I would have retreated to the police station. Uh, yeah, retreated out of there. The California Highway Patrol said personnel stationed in Truckee responded alongside the Placer County Sheriff's Office when guests at an Airbnb in the North Star area called for help. The California Highway Patrol said officers arrived to find an, this is a quote, extremely aggressive bear had entered through the open window and the occupants had left themselves in other rooms to hide from the animal. The bear proceeded to destroy the house looking for food, the CHP said. The bear charged at officers multiple times until they were able to get it back outside. Police found the bear was a mother of three cubs waiting in a tree outside. Oh. Yeah, you don't you don't mess with moms. No. Good reminder to all who live up here and all that come to play here. You're in Bear County, and it was their home first. Hey, boo boo! Yeah. Let's see what we got in this picnic basket. Yes, but you don't expect to go to an no, Airbnb. Not, it wasn't their Airbnb yeah, first. It wasn't their Airbnb. You don't expect to find aggressive bears in Airbnb. I, That's not a great advertisement have, for Airbnb. No. I have I have questions. Yeah. Where in California and what kind of a bear? What kind of bear is a question? All right. Well, I don't think we're gonna get those answers, but I've got another story to tell. Oh no! This is another animal. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> There's a theme today. All right. A possum. Found in Wyoming, believed to have hitched a ride on a semi. I gotta tell you though, opossums are my new favorite animal because I just learned that they eat ticks. 
Oh, I didn't know and that. I hate ticks. I, I don't like opossums because aren't they the ones that pretend like they're dead and then they like jump up at you? Uh, I don't know about that, but they eat ticks. Yeah, I think so, they are. Okay. Anyway, the story. Animal control officials in Wyoming said a non-native opossum found hiding under a house likely hitched a ride on a semi-truck from another <laughs> state. The Streetwater County Sheriff's Office said in a news release that Animal Control Officer Chris Thomas responded to the Western Hills neighborhood west of Rock Springs after a resident reported spotting an opossum under his house. This is wild. Opossums, the only marsupial native to the United States, are not generally found as far northwest as Wyoming, okay. the Sheriff's Office said. Thomas, who nicknamed the opossum George, <laughs> said she does not believe the male opossum to be an escaped pet. That's good. Rather, this is a quote, possums often seek refuge in dark, tight spaces, and she believes it most likely that George hitched a ride on a semi on the interstate and possibly went looking for food when the rig's driver stopped to rest or for fuel. Wow. Thomas personally cared for George until she was able to find a licensed rehabilitation center. The sheriff's office said the facility will have George examined by a veterinarian and transferred to an area of the country where opossums are found in the wild. George will find his people. It's a good story. Born free, as free as the wind blows. All right, we got one more. This. <laughs> all right. Our producer has definitely um, found us some theme maybe stories. Maybe he enjoyed my <laughs> duck story just a little too much. <laughs> Tennessee, 90-year-old Tennessee woman, Altha Williams, fights bear with a lawn chair. That reminds me, did you see the viral video of the guy attacking a crocodile with a frying pan? No. Yes, I just watched it this morning. There was a crocodile, like, blocking his path out to their transportation out, and he took a frying pan out there, bonked, it was a big one, too, bonked it on the head, on the nose several times, and it went away. But that was a crazy story. Okay. That reminds me, did you see the video? Of the baby bears trying to get into a hammock while Mama Bear just laid in the sun and had a nap? No. Oh, you must. Okay, we'll have to watch this. All right, here's uh, the story of Alta Williams. 90-year-old Tennessee Williams has managed to fight off a black bear outside her home with just her lawn chair. Alta Williams miraculously only suffered a scratch to her arm after the bear, who was with three cubs, attacked her on her front porch of her home. What? Terrible. Said it lunged at her. The bear's face was right in her face. She says she's been. Uh, she used her lawn chair to try to scare the bear off. She's been praising the <laughs> Lord ever since because I may not be here. That is a tough woman. Not today, right Satan. There. Not today, Satan. Well, those are some of the stories from the wild world that is the internet. Apparently, we all need to be like very weary of the animals in our lives and ready to attack them at any moment. Catherine, you've been a member of a church for a very long time, serving faithfully at your church. It's true. And uh, my husband and I planted a church, man, seven years ago, which is so hard to believe. So we are very involved in church. Um, And I'm sure in your like season at churches and definitely in our season uh, of being church leaders, people come and go from churches. Some of those is they move away. Um, Some of that is just life season. And some of it, especially I would say in COVID, people, Brian and I have talked about this a lot on the show, people leave out of anger, disagreement, Mm -hmm. um, or just not sure that they even want to go to church anymore. They Mm -hmm. learn they could kind of live without it. Mm -hmm. And so coming back feels like a hard thing to do. And obviously, like, you never want to 
see people just leave as a church leader. And obviously there are times to leave a church. Mm -hmm. But I would say, and I'd like to know your thoughts about this, Catherine, people tend to leave churches a little more quickly than they should. Maybe forgetting that church is a family and a body. Oh, I agree. Assuming church is just something you consume. Yes. What do you think about that? Oh, man. I, I strongly agree. I could probably go deeper in this conversation than you want me to. So I won't. But I grew up in small towns where the church had been serving the same communities of people for generations. Wow. And there was nowhere else to go. Yeah. The church was your community. Yeah. And so I have to admit that the sort of suburban consumer model of churches is really confusing mm-hmm. and off-putting for me. Um. Yeah, You know, I tend to shop at a certain grocery store, a certain clothes store, and if they stop carrying what I want, mm-hmm. then I go to another one. And that seems to be pretty much how churches, mm-hmm. how people view churches as well. And that, that troubles me. Um, one of the churches that I was a member at, I took my membership there very seriously. But whenever new members would be introduced, mm-hmm. we would all sort of renew our vow, our yeah. membership vows. Yeah. And I would be really startled to stand in this group of people who were literally making a vow before God and each other mm-hmm. that they would partner through life together no matter what. That yeah. sounds a lot like what I did when I got married. Yes. But I also knew that no one standing in that room saying that, or at least very few, would hesitate to leave if they didn't like the new pastor or if mm-hmm. the music style changed. Yep. So it felt really dangerous to me to be making a vow yeah. um, that I had absolutely no intention of keeping. So I actually would just stay, stay quietly. Oh, interesting. Be, okay. Because the vow meant a lot to me. And yeah. I was pretty sure I wouldn't know most of these people yeah. 10 years later. So you wanted, you wanted to be a person of your word. Yeah. You didn't want to take a vow lightly. Right. It's interesting because especially, you know, Kevin and I are pretty inundated in the church planting world. There's not a lot of church plants that do um, like what you're talking about, which would be membership, mm-hmm. like membership mm-hmm. classes. And then you sort of like commit yourself mm-hmm. to that church publicly and um, even sometimes writing down on a sheet of paper that you're a member of the yeah. church. And and then you get introduced to the whole rest of the church. But I remember growing up in a Southern Baptist church. That was very important. Mm-hmm. New members were always introduced. The other members would stand up like it was a very public sort of ceremony. And. I have a friend who's in the Southern Baptist world, and he talks about how he thinks it's a it's a big detriment to churches that we've stopped emphasizing the membership concept. Yeah. And I know some people, at least in the church planting world, got away from membership because it began to feel like country club, and they didn't want that. Like, you're not right. a member of a country club. But there is something to that vow you're talking about. Like, right. when you come to Christ, you are part of Christian community. It's not this individualistic thing. And mm-hmm. so we are saying, like, through thick or thin, we're family, And again, there are times to leave churches. I'm not saying stay no matter what. But I do think we need to take our leaving and our committing to a church a little more seriously. Yeah. And some people do. Yes. But certainly some people don't. Right. You know, I think early on and in a lot of places still today, probably being baptized even. Yes. Was a sign that you had died to your former self, your former family, mm-hmm. and the Christian community was going to live so differently. They took following Jesus yeah. 
very seriously. Yeah. They were going to confront evil. They were going to love enemies. They were going to sacrifice for strangers. Yep. And they were not going to be able to be successful in their culture yeah. living so controversially. Unless they did Unless they genuinely depended on yeah. each other for survival. Yeah. And so I think we've just lost track of even that idea of Christianity. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a it's a more complex issue than just should I stay at my church yep. or should I go? It, you're exactly right, Catherine. So Tim Challies, he's a pastor that Brian and I talk about quite a bit. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Catherine, but he lost a son just out of nowhere several years ago. Mm. I think he was a 22-year-old. Wow. And so he writes a lot about pain and suffering, and he comes from with a very pastoral heart. And he's actually talking about this um, on his blog, Challies.com. Before you pack up and leave a church, some things um, to consider. Hmm. And he says that every one of us has become familiar with the pattern. We've seen church members becoming dissatisfied and then disgruntled, missing church occasionally and then eventually consistently. And we've all begun to dread the nearly inevitable conclusion. Hmm. I'm putting words in his mouth, but that person is leaving. So um, he says, I would like to offer a few suggestions Hmm. that I hope you'll consider and put into practice before you leave your church. And this is really interesting because he's kind of getting at what you and I are saying, which is like, perhaps take this more seriously Mm -hmm. than you are thinking about it. He says, one, pray through the directory, find yourself a copy of the church directory and commit to praying through the entire thing at least once. Why do you think that matters? Well, on the spot, I would say this is a way... To realize that it's people that you're talking That's about. It. It's not yeah. the pastor or yeah. an institution. It's yeah. this group of people. Yeah. And um, when you leave, you're taking something yep. from them. You're, you're and, leaving that community, that family. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also I think, and this goes into the next thing he's going to say, it reminds you that these are people that we are called to serve. That's and it's good. a way yeah. of of serving them. Yeah. Um, I kind of jokingly sometimes say, ask not what your church can do for you. (laughs) Ask what you can do for your church. That's good, Catherine. That's really good. That is the next thing he says is commit to serving. The temptation when disgruntled is always to stop serving, to remove yourself from whatever ministries you've been involved with. But before you leave, recommit to serving others for a period of time. He says several months at Mm -hmm. least because love tends to grow cold when we stop loving others and it tends to be rekindled when we start loving again. I think that's really good. Do you want to share the next one with us? Yeah. He recommends that we remember the good and not just the bad. And Mm. this is something I say to my kids a lot. You know, a church is a family Yeah, and it's not a perfect family. Yeah, Just like my family is not perfect. um, And my kids will know that more and more as they write. Go to friends' houses and see considering what kind of family they want Mm -hmm. to build. They will realize, wow, there are some things that my family did really well. There are some things that I hate about my family, but it's my family. And um, I think that's really key in church is to remember it's not just the bad things. It's also the good things. And how can you contribute to health Mm. and help? Help in those areas where yeah. things are hard. That's so good. Um, a couple more things he says. Think it through, pray it through, and talk it through. Mm. He says, the fact is that in a consumeristic culture like this one, a culture in which the customer is always right, too many people leave churches too easily. It's unlikely that any of us is above the temptation to depart before you make that decision. Pray for the people of the church. Diligently serve them. Ask God for wisdom and ask others for guidance. Only then... 
can you leave with the confidence that your departure is God's will and you will have honored God, served others, and modeled how to leave a church well? I think that's a really great article, something for all of us. And it is Friday. You know what that means? It is time for our top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right. You heard that theme song. So that means we are going to do our top five. Catherine, why don't you reveal to the people what we're doing? What is our top five list today? Okay, Aubrey. uh, I can't even hardly believe this, but we are doing top five shocking or meaningful celebrity deaths. Yeah, this feels a little dark. We're going a little dark for the top five list. And it really, it's not funny, but there's something it's about this that is... ironic. Yeah, yeah. And it's ironic for you because you're not that into celebrity culture. To say the least. In fact, Aubrey, you laugh at me all the time. You'll be like, oh, did you hear so-and-so <laughs> did this? And I'll be like, Aubrey, I've never heard of You'll that be like, person. I don't even know who that person is. I have is no yet. idea who that person is. She'll be like, sure you do. He's married to so-and-so. And I'll be like, Aubrey, I haven't even heard of so-and-so. And these are not B-list celebrities right, either. These are... People that it turns out everyone but me has been actively following. I remember one of my favorite stories about you is I think one time your husband said you something like, Catherine, there are just a few songs the world is listening to and I need to play them for you just so you like know what they are. Oh, that probably happened. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, so it's going to be interesting to see what your celebrity list is because of that. So do you want to start with your uh, number five? Okay, so this is shocking. Okay, so uh, most of these are uh, people that... It's shocking that I had heard of them. Yes. And but then I also shocking that I heard that they died. But yeah. this one is truly shocking. And it was uh my number five is Chadwick Bozeman. <gasps> yeah, he's gonna be on my list too. Okay. That was very shocking. Yes. Because no one knew he had cancer. No. That was very shocking. You and I had just gone to see Black Panther yes. like a little bit before yes. that, and all of a sudden this news is yes. breaking. I mean, and it might have been a couple of years. It's but heartbreaking. So. I'm yeah. I may be still a little yeah. heartbroken. Yeah, that's a that was a very shocking one. Okay, my number five would probably be a lot of people's number one, but I'm not a huge basketball fan, so that's why it's not higher on the list for me. But Kobe Bryant's yes. death was shocking, shocking, yes. shocking. Rocked the world. And I happened to be in uh, Southern California at the time for a class at uh, Wheaton while this was going on. Wow. And so it was like wow. at ground zero. So that yes. was a, that was devastating and crazy. Absolutely. It's my number five. All right. Okay. What's number your number four? Okay, number four. It was not shocking, but it was sad. Uh, a loss to many of us. Number four, Betty White. Oh, Betty White. Yeah. I forgot about right. Betty White. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, RIP Betty White. Yeah. Not shocking. No, she not was shocking, up there. but so beloved. Yes, yes. That's that's a really good one. Okay. Yes. I I don't know if you're going to know number four. This was especially meaningful for me okay. because this was my first love oh. because I had many posters of him all over my room growing up uh, because I also had pictures of him in my wallet. Oh, uh, in because, your wallet. Yes, because A License to Drive was my favorite movie, and that's the actor Corey Haim. Oh, who, I, I knew uh, at least 20 seconds ago that I it was going to be was Corey I was so Haim. sad when he died. Like, I literally called my middle school best friend, and I was like, can you believe it? I mean, the, you know, he didn't live a good life, and so in one sense, it's not shocking that he died, yeah. but it shocked me. Yes, it was a loss. Because I'm still waiting to marry the guy. I 
I understand. You know, so Corey Haim is my number four. I did not have his pictures in my wallet. Yeah, but you get it. I do. Okay. All right, Catherine, uh, what is, who is your number four? What number are we are? I'm three. Going, I'm heading towards number three. Yeah. Now, this one is pretty dorky. This is not particularly a celebrity. He okay. was a famous chef in Chicago, oh, okay. but I was shocked when Charlie Trotter died. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of him. I have very vaguely heard of Charlie I surprised Trotter. my husband um, for a milestone birthday mm-hmm. by spending more than we spend on our mortgage on one dinner at Charlie Trotter's restaurant. Oh. But we didn't get to meet him, and we were hoping to do it again, oh. and he died just shortly That's after. That's so sad, and your husband's a real foodie, too. Oh, yeah. So. That's why we spent oh, a lot that of much money, money at the restaurant. on one dinner. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's a good that's a good one. I'm glad you you went Chicago specific. Okay, my number three. Um, Brian argues with me about who's America's dad. I think this is America's dad, and this was so shocking. Bob Saget's yeah. death. That was just so unexpected. I considered him for my list. Brian, I'm going to throw Brian under the bus. He still wants to say that Bill Cosby is America's dad, and I'm like, nope. We Brian, oh he sh- well, especially he not after shall the news not be this named. Week, yeah, which so I won't. Oh, yeah. He says it's Cliff Huxtable and not so much. But, well, I, but I'm going to go with Bob Saget. Mr. Danny Tanner, that's the most shocking death. All right, uh, Catherine, are we already up at your number two? We are up to number two. This was also not shocking. This person had cheated death many times over, but it is the only person on this list that I actually burst into tears upon hearing the news, and it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, RBG. I did yeah. actually cry. You did cry? I kind of a lot. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah that wasn't, sh- I mean, it, it was, was her time. Shocking, it was her but- time to go, but the sad loss of an icon. Yes. Yeah, and loss of a hero in yes. a lot of ways. And I think she did a lot more than most people realize. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Okay, that's a good one. All right, um, my number two, and then we'll share honorable mentions. Mine uh, rocked my world in high school. I did cry over this death okay. as well, and that was Kurt Cobain. Oh, my goodness. I was yes. devastated because I was a big Nirvana fan, mm-hmm. as many of us were back in the day as Gen Xers. And, I mean, Gen I X. was like, my world was rocked. I, that yeah. was like, I felt like my friend had committed suicide uh-huh. and uh-huh. it was really, really, really devastating. Yep. yep. That was a rough one. All right. Before we go with our number ones, Catherine, oh. do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah. I didn't realize that was coming before number one, but yes, for honorable mention, I, I have two, but they're as okay. a pair. Okay. Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Oh, yeah. They died right after the other One mother and daughter. day apart. Mother and daughter. Daughter died first. Mother died the next You know, I, for- I, I forgot about that. That's a, that's a good one. That's a yeah. good pair, too. That's yeah. sad. Any more on your list or were those That your- was my honorable okay. mention, but yep. I have my number one. Okay. So I've got quite a few honorable mentions okay. um, and kind of in the same vein as Corey Haim. I'm going to go River Phoenix. Okay. I'm going to go Luke Perry, who was oh, more recent. Yes. That's just like, I mean, I was also in love with Dylan McKay. Of course. I'm going to go Steve Irwin, uh, oh. the Crocodile Hunter. Yes. Um, or that crocodile, was shocking. Crocodile Hunter. Is that I what he was? Crocodile no. wrestler? Anyway. I know who you mean. The animal guy. And then um, Princess Diane. Oh. Pri- Princess Diana. Yes. Yeah, that was a... That Honorable mention shocking. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Catherine, we already know my number one because it was earlier on your list, so I'll share it and then I'll let okay. you go. Minus okay. Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Just yes, I was, you yes. know, I'm such a Marvel fan. Mm-hmm. First, so, like so strong black Marvel character. That was really, really, really devastating yes, and, and heartbreaking. Okay. So who is your number one shocking celebrity death? Okay. This is a. This is kind of a throwback. Okay. I'm okay. ready for it. Rich Mullins. <laughs> 
not funny. It's I'm not sorry. funny. It's not funny. That is just not who I expected you to say. Well, it should have been. Because I know you. Because you I know, know me. You. Yeah. But I celebrate the day of his death every year. Oh. I play his music on Instagram and ask people to tell me their favorite oh, wow. Rich Mullen song. And the day that he was killed in a car accident, yeah. I was in my junior year of college. My best friend at the time, and well, still, she's one of my best friends, yeah. called me on the phone to say Catherine, and oh. we sobbed on the oh, phone are you together. Yes. Can I make a confession to you? No. I'm going to, you're <laughs> not going to like know. me anymore. I don't even think I know a Rich Mullen song. Aubrey. I'm not even joking. It's too bad that we started this, uh, this hour talking about friendship because <laughs> it's over now. It's, it's over now. Everything. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I'm not joking when I say he discipled me as a teenager. Oh, so I never met sad. him, but he was kind of the one true light that struck me as genuine Christ follower mm. in our cultural context. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Authentic as a Gen X uh, is what you're looking authentic. for. I bet you just made a lot of friends on the Common Good. I, I bet there's so. a lot of Rich Mullins fans Common out there. Common Good, please. Let me hear from yeah. you. Well okay. done. All right. That is our top five list. Most shocking or meaningful celebrity deaths. Let us know if we missed anybody or who who you lost in the celebrity world that was really meaningful for you. Okay. Catherine, you've been here all week. Well I done. Have. It's been Thank so you. fun to have you in the studio. It has been so fun. Hopefully you get to have some rest this weekend. And listeners, hopefully you've enjoyed having Catherine with us. Brian will be back again on Monday, but it has been awesome to have Catherine and my husband Kevin and some other guests fill in. So we appreciate you so much, Catherine. Um, at the end of every show, especially at the end of the week, one of the things that we like to leave our listeners with is something inspiring. And um, Catherine, over at PropelWomen.org, which is an organization that I'm involved with yes. and write for, they're talking about letting go of dreams. Mm. So I before we dive into the article itself by Jordan Lee Dooley, I, I this is an interesting topic to me because yes. I do think um, there are seasons of life where we either because of life circumstances mm -hmm. or just because we realize it's not going to happen. Yeah. There are dreams we sort of have to let die. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, Proverbs even talk about this. That can be deeply painful yes and yet i think sometimes god invites us to do that yeah yeah uh but i i think there's a there's a grieving process that needs to happen mm -hmm. in letting go of the dreams and then there has to be some type of like almost repositioning posture of like okay god if it's not this this thing i thought it was supposed to be or you were going to do for me or was going to happen in my life whether it's a relationship or a job or you know something like you accomplished it seems like you're doing something different. There does, I think, come a moment when you have to give up on that dream, but then allow God to birth something new in you. That's easier said than done, yeah. don't you think? Oh, I do. And even, I think, before that moment comes, I was actually just talking t last Wednesday um, to a seminary class about surrender mm. and how, for me, there needs to be so much discernment in that moment where you decide, is God asking me to dig deep for the courage to like make a big change, yeah. make something happen yeah. or hang in there. Mm -hmm. Or is God asking me to use the courage to let go? Mm. I think that is, that's the question right there because sometimes like Brian and I have covered the story of the, that singer Jewel. Mm. Remember her? And, I do. and she apparently got told like, no, no, no rejection, rejection, rejection. JK Rowling's a famous mm -hmm. example of this as well. 
But they kept going until their dreams were fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so you hear that version of the story. I'm reading Simu Liu's autobiography right now. He's the uh, actor who plays Shang-Chi in Marvel. Same thing for him. He didn't give up. He kept going. He kept going. Dreams come true, right? Those stories are inspiring. You make movies out of those stories. You read books out of those stories. But But that's not a huge percentage of the population. And so you're right, that discernment to know, God, are you saying... I surrender in the sense that I'm like, I'm not, I'm surrendering to this dream. I'm going to keep going. Or like, oh, I'm supposed to let it go. Yes. Yeah. And how do you know? And you and I have talked about this too with book writing Mm -hmm. that we know a lot of would-be authors who Mm -hmm. have been pitching book ideas for a long time and always pointing to those couple people who finally broke through, but we never point to the thousand ten thousand people who didn't yeah it's it is so true and so that can be a challenging concept especially i think in america we're all about fulfilling our dreams pursuing our dreams like it's very western very american in our value system to be able to do that yeah so when it doesn't go your way that can also it can almost be a crisis of faith i think i think so and it's because of the way it's marketed to us I think in our yeah. childhood you know like I can remember singing mm. I am a promise I am a possibility <laughs> yeah. with a capital P I yeah. can be anything mm-hmm. God wants me to be which by which we kind of meant anything I decide I, I want, I want to, be. to be mm-hmm. and so then when life turns out to be full of a lot of paying the electric bill yeah. and trying to fill your car up with gas right. and take care of your kids or you know looking mm-hmm. hoping for a spouse or hoping for children yeah just kind of slog I think of life it feels like we either we did something wrong yes. like we missed yeah the right decision right or that God has done something wrong and withheld mm-hmm. something that we deserve mm-hmm. yeah and that can that can be really really difficult mm-hmm. if you're not prepared mm-hmm. for it so Jordan Lee Dooley again over at Propel Women is kind of talking about this concept and she says If letting go of the dream is the best direction, that doesn't mean it will be easy. She's offering a few steps. Okay. Um, So the first step, Catherine, she says, is identify what matters most and why. Hmm. She says, this is so simple yet so difficult for so many of us. I didn't make the decision to let go of my first business. It was a business called Soul Scripts overnight. I wrestled with it for a long time. You may be similarly trying to discern the right decision in pursuit of what lasts. However, when faced with the disappointment of a dream not living up to our expectation, the most important thing we can do is step back and ask what matters most in this situation. Here's another example she gives. Let's say you're feeling unsettled about the guy you've been seriously dating Hmm. for years. Even though you want to be married, you may identify that what you value most in a relationship is a shared faith. Knowing that you and your current partner aren't on the same page with that may be what prompts you to consider letting go of a good thing. So in that sense, she's saying clarifying what matters most. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Do you want to share the next one with us? Sure. She also recommends when you're trying to figure that out um, to evaluate and seek counsel. So So instead of making a a rash decision, look for people you can seek wisdom from. Mm -hmm. Um, Ask God for guidance. Ask trusted mentors. Bring together a meeting of all your inner circle. Yeah. Um, she again uses the example of stepping back from soul scripts. Um, she asked a number of her mentors that she'd already gained trust with for their advice Good. and explained what was and wasn't working. Um, and after she, they after they listened to her, they were able to mm. provide advice for her that she was 
able to then hear. Okay, and she was making the right decision to let go. That's interesting. The last thing she says is make a plan for the open space on your plate. Hmm. Here's what she says. One of the hardest parts of letting go of a dream is the unknown. The endless what-ifs can drive us into analysis paralysis. There's no way to predict the future, but we can make a plan. Having a roadmap allows us to move forward with clarity. She says, when I decided to let go of Soul Scripts, I didn't know whether my online community would be supportive or upset. I didn't know whether it would be closed for one month or forever. I didn't know whether I'd miss it. All I knew was that I needed to let go if I hoped to see what God had in store for me. Mm. So the only thing that gave her peace and confidence was her action plan for how she would see the decision through and how she would move forward. Her team and I decided they'd close the shop with a warehouse sale, set clear timeline with to-dos. So she says that um, have a plan. Uh, if you've always wanted to write a book or train mm-hmm. for a marathon, do those things when you're letting go of a dream to kind of keep you moving Give forward. Give you something to walk towards. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. Is there anything you would add or change about this list? The only thing that struck me is it, it she's clearly having a kind of a crisis of abundance. Yeah. But I think in reality, a lot of times the dreams that we're letting go of are just things that we feel like we need to survive, but we're not getting it. It feels more like a wilderness experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's something too. But even then again, I think surrounding yourself with people who can give you wise advice. Yeah. Um, making sure you're keeping the main thing. The main thing yeah. is still important. Yeah, I think that's that's good wisdom for all of us. Well, we hope that encourages if you encourages you if you are in the process of letting go or changing the dreams that you once had, praying that God is with you in that season. Thanks so much for joining us today. And Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I've had so much fun. That's awesome. Well, my regular co-host Brian Fromm and I will be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.